us uh, to the Lord in a word of prayer before we show uh, a short video. Um, So if you'll bow your heads with me, I'd like to pray for us uh, together as a church body. Father, I'm grateful this morning and my heart is full uh, of joy and uh, just expectancy of of what you're going to uh, accomplish with the fellowship of your people this morning. Father, we are here personally and individually to fellowship, to worship you to give you honor and to give you praise and to give you glory for all that you have done, Father, all that you are doing and all that you will do in the future. God, you are, you are worthy of our praise this morning and for, for who you are, for your holiness and your righteousness and your justice. Uh, God, we, we praise you for, for the work uh, that you're doing among your people. I'm grateful just as a pastor here at First Baptist Church to be able to, uh, to, be able to, 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 to see the work that you're doing both behind the scenes and the, the work that's very public. Father, I'm grateful that we have individuals here who are eager to, to, to do the work of the kingdom, uh, to do ministry, as we call it. Uh, Father, we, we thank you for the vision. We thank you for the, the path that you have laid before us. And I thank you for sending us people who have, uh, who have the ability, who are equipped to do the work. Uh, Father, you are, you are great, gracious to us, and we are grateful indeed. Uh, Father, as we open this worship hour uh, to, the, to the music and to the giving and to the word, Father, we pray that you are our focus, that you are our vision, God, that you are glorified by all that we say and do in this hour of worship. Father, may we be obedient to the word as it's preached. Father, may we be willing to, to be brought under conviction where needed. May we be brought closer to righteousness where it's necessary. But Father, most of all, we, we pray that that, uh, that we can see you this morning, high and lifted up, exalted, Father, to your rightful place. Father, I thank you for those in attendance. I pray now that, that as we offer this gift of worship, that it is pleasing in your sight. We pray this now in Christ's name, and amen. We come today standing on the word of God and proclaiming his truth, hymn 85. God will make a way as we prepare to hear God's scripture uh, this morning as Ben leads us. Uh, in reading God's word. Let's sing together, God will make a way.
Amen. As we read from the Word of God this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, it's a message to the body of Christ. It's really what Paul's exhortation here is. And it's, it's a beautiful one, honestly. It's a, it's a unifying one. So as we read from God's Word this morning, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this in verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all, and in you all. Amen, church. What a great reminder from the Word of God. This morning, as the Word of God is read in the house of God. Brother Richard. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Let's stand together and sing Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. It's hymn 446. Blessed Assurance. Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. Song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture, now burst on my sight. Angels descending, bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of Story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Perfect submission, all is at rest. I am my Savior. Let's just go ahead and start turning in our Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. As, as, we, as you turn there, I'm just, I was just talking to Brother Richard, and we're, we're at this church. We're blessed in so many ways to have the level of gifts and talents that we have uh, in, in just, the, just the, 
the way that God has gifted our individuals for, for worship. Uh, we, we have backups to backups in the music department. Miss Marcia has done an excellent job filling in for Miss uh, Linda this morning, um, and, and, and we'll see her in there throughout the, the coming weeks uh, as Miss Linda recovers. But, uh, but we have such a, a unique giftedness at this church the Lord has given us with, with uh, talent. And uh, whether that's on the organ or whether that's on the piano or uh, guitar or whatever the case may be, um, I'm just very grateful for that. And so, all right, Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. Uh, part 5, or Sermon 5, if you will. I don't say Part 5. I don't know how many parts there are to this. Uh, the Lord will, 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 will deal with that when the time comes. But for, for now, this is, this is Sermon 5 of a series of sermons. And if you haven't been here, this is just kind of a catch-up um, uh, of what we've been doing. Uh, we've been looking at uh, what, what's called uncommon sense through the book of Proverbs. The idea of uncommon sense being something that was wisdom in the book of Proverbs, but has become uncommon in our, in our modern world. Um, we find ourselves uh, in this Sermon 5 approaching almost the halfway mark of the book of Proverbs. Uh, chapter 16... Um, you know, we, there's, there's, there's so many good things, so many great truths that, uh, that we're not covering as we move through the book. And I'd like to encourage you to do that on your own, maybe in your own devotional time, because it's a great book for practical wisdom, right? If you want to know how to, how to live your life and, and, and the day-to-day workings of just practical wisdom, the book of Proverbs is a great place for that. But today we're going we're gonna to look at a verse that is arguably... And I'll say arguably because there's a lot of verses like this one. But this is one of the verses of Scripture that we find often misquoted in, in, its, in, its, uh, in its presentation of Scripture. Um, Proverbs chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. Let's go ahead and stand and let's read this word in honor. And then we'll get into the rest of it here in just a second. Solomon says this. In verse 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be of a humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful this morning for this word. God, as it has now been read in the assembling of your saints, Father, may you bless it. May you be glorified by it. And pray this now in Christ's name and amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. So this, this, this verse uh, is often shortened to what we know today as pride goes before the fall. I'm sure you've heard that. You probably even use that from time to time. But the verse itself does not actually say pride goes before the fall. Actually, it says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. And so we're going to look at what this verse says because it says more than just about pride. It says it, says, it speaks to more than, uh, than just about a haughty spirit. In our uncommon sense application of it, it actually speaks to another principle of the Christian life, and that's called humility. Humility is not necessarily a Christian virtue, but it is most certainly a Christian aspect of a faithful life. Um, you cannot, if you will, have a faithful life without humility. All right? They are interchangeable. They are one in the same. So it goes to say this morning that there's no doubt that, that our world has been filled to the brim with the sin of pride. Many 
if not most, of the people in our world today think more highly of themselves than they ought. Amen? It's probably true. I mean, I don't say probably. I say that that is most likely true. I say that because in our world today, our children are raised to believe that they are the apple of the solar system, that, that everything rises and falls on their happiness. So it's no surprise that when they grow up to be adults, they think the same. Amen. We live, if you will, in an age of self-gratification or instant gratification, selfies, and participation trophies. That's just the way our world works now. Now, whether that's ethically or philosophically right or wrong, I'll let you determine that for yourself. But we are definitely not doing ourselves a service, especially in the element of pride, when we are instantly gratified, when we are self-consumed about appearance or perception, and when we think that no matter how good or bad we do, we are winners. Because what has happened is that all of this has puffed up the egos of modern man to the point that they no longer have need of things like faith. People whose egos are in the stratosphere have no need for morality or truth. Why? Because they can just make up their own to suit themselves. They have their own faith systems. They have their own codes of ethics and morality. They have their own idea of truth. So they just adopt those and they they march forward in their proud, arrogant ways. Christians, however, are not called to do this. They're not called to live like this. Humility is actually the hallmark of a disciple who has surrendered all and committed his or her ways to Christ. Submission is the proper posture for the believer who has died to him or herself and decided, decided to follow Christ. Christians, or there's no room in the Christian construct for pride. There's no room in the Christian composition for a haughty spirit. So alternatively, we have to look to humility. And let's look at the scriptures today uh, and what they say. Now in your bulletin, you will see that I broke this down into two things, or rather three things. Pride, a haughty spirit, and humility. The first one that we want to look at today is pride. Pride, as the scriptures say this morning, goes before destruction. It's pride that precedes destruction. Now, as we talked last week, pride is in definition or by definition uh, personally elevating oneself over God. Um, we, we talked in our second sermon of this series about the seven abominations that God hates or what are popularly coined the seven deadly sins, one of which was pride. And if you remember, we discussed how pride was the ultimate anti-God sin. Talked about how pride was, was slayed the anointed cherub we know as Lucifer. We also talked about how pride seeks to dethrone God and replace him with self. Now, concerning this, it's pride that allows humans to believe that we don't need God anymore. Amen? It's pride that convinces us that we can be him. 
that we can take him off of his throne and that we can position ourselves on it and rule our own universe. The masters of our own destiny, if you will. It's so romantic, isn't it? I I haven't used that word in a long time. Romantic. There you go. And that wasn't even in my notes for what it's worth. But it's what convinced Adam and Eve. I mean, consider that pride was what convinced Adam and Eve that it was safe to eat the fruit of the tree. Why? Because Satan told them that they would be like God. You know, and that's what he told them. That's what the deception was. Oh, we can't eat of that. God said we can't eat of that. Well, he just told you that because he knows that when you do eat of it, that you'll be like him. And they're like, oh, really? And so they ate. They they ate in pride. They ate in arrogance. It's what convinced the citizens of a place we call Babel that they could rebel against God's command to fill the earth and instead, quote, make a name for themselves. Build a tower whose top could reach the heavens. It was pride. God said, go, fill the earth, multiply, fill it up. And they said, nah, we'll stay here. And uh, we'll just build ourselves an empire, a place, a tower whose top can reach the heavens. God, you are up there. We want to be there with you. We'll just stay put. Pride is what prompted the nation of Israel to do things that were abominations. Like literally, they they would set up idols to Baal in the temple. God gave Ezekiel the prophet a little peek behind the curtains of what the leaders of Israel were doing in the temple. They would literally, they were erecting idols to Baal in the house of God and worshiping it. I can imagine that the anger of God was stirred up, burned against Israel. Pride is also what prompted the Jewish leaders to kill the Son of God the very one begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth, they hung him on a cross in their pride and in their arrogance. And so you see, there's nothing good that comes from believing that there is a position higher than the throne of heaven. Pride convinces you that there is. Pride tells you to at least try. Because you see, this sin is what encourages one to elevate themselves above God. It's what causes, if you will, and it's, it's what has caused in our world today a dramatic rise in atheism. You want to see, you want to look at the demographics of our country and you want to see the fastest growing religions in the, in the country? They are two, atheism and paganism. Why? Why are people turning to nothing? Why are they turning to paganism, worship of creation, worship of nature, worship of self? Because that's what atheism really is. Satanism as a religion, its numbers are growing. Why? Because Satanism encourages you to exalt self. It's really what it is. It's the worship of the self. Pride in our day has encouraged people to step out into these religions. Atheism, even agnosticism, the religion, if you will, of knowledge. 
People have, they've hung their hats on, on agnosticism in our day. This idea that science and technology is our savior. And that we can follow it until the very end without error. Pride is what mostly convinces us that there is room on God's throne and that you belong there. Now, what does pride lead to that Solomon tells us? Pride tells us Solomon tells us that pride is what precedes destruction. So consequently, we can conclude that destruction follows pride. Destruction in the Hebrew is very fascinating. It's actually compared in the original language to breaking a piece of pottery. Very illustrative word. And this is, this is very fascinating sometimes about the original languages because they're illustrative. They're not necessarily designed to be phonetic sounds that just conjure up uh, an understanding of something. They're designed to craft an image in your mind. Destruction is one of those words in the Hebrew. It draws up a visual image for you to contemplate. In this case, it's the illusion or the imagery of breaking a piece of pottery. Now, let's appreciate this. In ancient times, pottery was what we would call, what are, we, what are that, Tupperware. Y'all remember those days? I remember that in the 80s. I remember people coming to our house and having Tupperware parties. Corningware, that too. Weird. Strange. But it's useful. We're Tupperware, Rubbermaid, all these different things is what we use today. Back in those days, they used pottery. They made clay, or they used clay, to make vessels that they would use for just about anything. And it took time. It took work to craft a piece of pottery that would be useful, at least for a long time. Pottery was the kind of thing that once crafted properly, would last forever. Because it was made out of the earth, because it was made out of earthen materials, it wouldn't break down, kind of like plastic, kind of like our stuff that we use today. In fact, we're still finding uh, intact pieces of pottery today in archaeological digs across the world, thousands of years old. We're finding pottery that was buried and is still intact. The only thing that would make a piece of pottery back in ancient days useless was if you broke it, right? You dropped it, you broke it, there was no Gorilla Glue. You couldn't go to the hardware store and glue it back together. And even if you could, it wouldn't be perfect. You have to just go get another piece of pottery, amen? That's the way it was. Um, Destruction in the Hebrew is akin to this concept. An individual who has elevated themselves above God have elevated themselves to an unsustainable position. And once destruction comes, it comes swiftly and totally. Proverbs chapter 29 verse 1 says, A man who hardens his neck after much reproof will suddenly be broken beyond remedy. If pride 
is consequential to destruction, it only goes without saying that when destruction comes, it's, it's fast, it's unexpected, and it's entire, it's total. See, pride doesn't tell you that part, though. You see, the whispers of Satan don't consist of reminders of the total brokenness that comes to those who think they are God. The ego doesn't know, nor can it comprehend the kind of destruction that it's capable of when they fall apart like a piece of pottery being dropped from a height. You see, we don't, we don't, we're not told those things. And in, in fact, people who are proud, people who have the sin of pride, oftentimes don't even know it. It often takes a destructive event. It often takes the Lord himself intervening and crushing that person. Because they, left to their own devices, are oblivious to their pride. That's the way it works. That's why it's deceptive. That's why it's so destructive. And it's ultimately why God can't do anything with it. Because you have elevated yourself above him. Destruction follows pride. The third part about this is that elevating oneself beyond measure precedes the shattering of one's own life. Take the two thoughts. Take the idea of pride. You take the idea of destruction. You bring them together. And it's just, it just makes sense that, that when we put these things together, we get quite a somber picture of what pride does to a life that has elevated itself above God. When you think that you are the end all, the be all, when you think that you are at the top, when you think that you are that the best and, the, and, the, and the, the most excellent and you think you're glorified, and then destruction comes and absolutely shatters a life. In fact, the world is littered with stories of people whose pride went before their destruction. I mean, we can, uh, we can just look through the history books and find people like Hitler who thought he was God. He empowered others in his army to think they were gods. And they were destroyed. We have even in our own Christian communities, or I won't say, I won't say in our Christian communities because these people were heretics, but people like Jim Jones, a man who, for all practical purposes, is the, the, posters, the poster child of, of, of religious zealots who exalt themselves above God and above people, and they end up doing things like Jim Jones did. It's pride. And this is, Jim Jones is just one of many examples of people who are called pastors or assume that position and wield pride as their weapon. They thought they could get away with it, using their life to shake the fist at God, only to have it shattered into a million pieces. This is the warning. This is what Solomon's idea is constant. This is why he's telling. This is a warning that if pride is what precedes you in your life, then destruction's coming. It's cause and effect. The second thing that he mentions here is a haughty spirit. Now, I, I know that, that on its face, pride and a haughty spirit seem interchangeable. But, but a haughty spirit is, is different. The, the, the first thing that we can mention about a haughty spirit is that it's, 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 it's defined as a spiritual condition of 
not elevating oneself above God, but exalting oneself above measure. There's a difference, and we'll flesh this out here in just a second. Pride and a haughty spirit are often used in the same context. They are oftentimes interchangeable, but there is a distinction that Solomon makes about these two things in Proverbs. If pride is exalting, or rather elevating one above God, then then a haughty spirit is exalting oneself above measure. A haughty spirit, in a word, is one that rather than than elevating oneself above God, exalts itself in a way that's sinful. In a way, in a word, a haughty spirit is one that thinks more highly of itself than it should. Additionally, a haughty spirit isn't necessarily known for its desire to supersede God, but rather known for its desire to supersede itself or others. Okay, let me, let me analogize this, make it a little more understandable. An individual who has a haughty spirit thinks of themselves in ways that, that, is, that is above reality. Okay, and this is, this is oftentimes what we see in our world today. We call it fake, we call it a facade, we call it whatever, whatever we call it. It's this idea that you're, you're presenting yourself, you're thinking of yourself higher than you should. You're living in a world that's not real. Reality says you're one thing, but you say that you're another, right? We, we have examples of this in our society as well. In fact, this is probably more of, of an issue at the practical level than, than is pride. We have people in our world today who can't get enough of themselves. You know, I, I have... Let me, let, me, let me be accurate with this. I have taken one selfie, and I hated it. And it wasn't necessarily the picture. I mean, I, I think I make great pictures. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. It was, the, it was the awkward and the bizarre experience of taking a picture of myself. You know, you, you're, you got your phone, and you... You're looking at yourself on a screen, and it's just like, and you know, you, you're always your worst critic, right? You, you don't, who, I, I am anyway. I, I look at myself, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm losing some more hair, and oh, my cheeks are getting chubby, and oh, oh you know, and then I start doing that, and I'm like, I really just need to go on a diet. That's what I conclude when I look at myself in pictures. But, but that's not so with a great swath of our American population. I, I mean, I don't have my phone on me, but there are people, y'all, that literally will, every five seconds, taking pictures of themselves, and they're like doing the kissy faces, and they're doing the this and the that, and they're looking at different angles, and they're like the show. And now we have filters, too, to just, to just make it even more bizarre. And if, and if I just offended you, I'm sorry. But, 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 but it's indicative. Hear me. It's indicative of a world that's been filled with a haughty spirit. You know, and social media blows that thing up because then we can take all of that, we can put it out there, and then we can get likes and loves and smiley faces and hearts and comforts and, and all these different things, and we can overindulge ourselves more than we ought 
Because at the end of the day, you go home with yourself. And you have to be happy with who you really are. Right? Not to mention you have to be happy with who you are in Christ with a clear conscience. But then you have to know at the end of the day that, that all those filters and all of that, that's not who you really are. Who you really are is when you get up at 6 o'clock in the morning and you look a mess. That's who you really are. Amen? Can I get an amen from that? Amen. I mean, I know when I wake up, my hair is not a mess. But, but I know the rest of you probably that have hair, you are. But, but, but this haughtiness, and we don't use the word haughtiness, but the Bible does, and so we, we have to run with it, right? Because this, this is the point. Because what it leads to, this is, this, is what, this is what the real great crime and sin of haughtiness leads to. It's like, yeah, it starts with selfies and it starts with overindulgence. But what it leads to is a genuine thought process that you're better than somebody else. It's this never-ending cycle of comparison. You look at your life. And your expression of it, your, 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 your perspective of it or whatever. And then you compare that to someone else's and you conclude that you're better than that. You conclude that, that you're better off than they are. You conclude that you're not as bad as they are, that, that, you're, not as, uh, that you're not as unfortunate as that person over there. Because that's ultimately where it leads. And if in the body of Christ, this is especially devastating. The beauty of the the scriptures this morning, though, is that though pride goes before destruction, and that's total and entire, a haughty spirit just leads to a fall. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, a haughty spirit is one that is remedial. And we'll get to more of that here in just a second. But when you have this haughty spirit that's exalted you above measure... You can't help but look down on others. You can't help but exhaust all of your time and energy and resources on appearance or impressions or facades. You seek with this haughty spirit ways to maintain a status or convince yourself that there is someone who exists that doesn't. A haughty spirit convinces you that this is okay. It's useless ultimately to God because it isn't the one that has its feet planted on the ground but has its head in the clouds. But as I mentioned, a haughty spirit leads to a fall, which is our, our, our second point. In the Hebrew... A fall. The word for a fall literally means a trip or a stumble, especially in this context. The consequence of a haughty spirit is serious as well, but it's not as serious as pride. Those whose eyes and minds are so high up in the clouds are bound to trip on reality somewhere. Amen? Their eyes, their heads are up. And they're just enjoying their, just, their impressions, their selves. They enjoy their, their perspective of themselves that eventually they're not going to see what's tripping them up at their feet and they're going to fall. 
Because reality, amen, has a way of doing that. This is what's wrong with many of our philosophical misunderstandings today and our our self-help, all these different things that, that are outside of Scripture, this is what's wrong with them because what it does is it teaches you, it, it trains you to put your eyes on yourself and not on the path. And that's the danger because the path is filled with obstacles. And you can believe if you want to that every day is Friday, but that is not reality. You can believe that you're living your best life now if you want to, but that is not reality. And what's oftentimes, unfortunately, the result is that people who follow those things end up bumping up against reality somewhere, and then they're left going, whoa, 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 hold on a second. I I I thought I followed the 10-step program to a prosperous life, and now all of a sudden I'm broke. Maybe I shouldn't have sowed that seed of $10,000 with that, with that televangelist. Maybe I shouldn't have done that. Because that's, that's what a Holy Spirit tells you to do. A Holy Spirit causes you to take your eyes off the path and inevitably fall. Because no one can go very far in life without something happening to cause them to stumble or trip. But what happens after is where the consequential part comes in because a haughty spirit can be remedied. Those who recognize the folly of their haughtiness will allow themselves to be brought back down to earth eventually. Now, in such cases, these people understand their folly. Many, however... Refuse to let anything deflate their exalted egos. And in such cases, the Lord can and will get involved to humiliate that person. Now, I use the word humiliate, not, not in the context that we understand it today. I use it in the, in, the, in the understanding that the root word is humble. The Lord will humble the proud. He will humble the arrogant. The Bible speaks of this kind of humiliation as abasement <laughs> and not the kind under your house, okay? Y'all didn't laugh at that. I thought for sure when I wrote that last night you would laugh at that. Truly a mystery. Abasement is what the Bible uses to describe this process. You can find an example of this in Jesus' teachings in Matthew 12, or rather 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself, and this is the same exaltation we're talking about here in the book of Proverbs. Whoever exalts himself above measure, if you can put that in parentheses, will be humbled. And whoever, whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In such cases, and this is especially true for the Christian, where an individual refuses to humble themselves before God, God will force them down in humiliation. It can happen through a lot of things. It can happen through judgment. It could happen through chastisement. It could happen through correction. Or it could happen through a series of circumstances that the Lord permits because of bad choices. It happens in any way. The Lord allows these things to happen. In fact, he ordains them sometimes in our lives to, 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 to force us into a state of humility. It's the way he works. 
And if you don't, I mean, I, I speak that from experience too, by the way. I don't necessarily look at this as some pie in the sky theology. I look at it as personal experience. The Lord has humbled me personally in my life. It's easy for egos to get inflated. The point, though, is for the Lord to deflate that ego that has exalted itself above measure. Right? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the point. It's a above measure because it's okay to think of yourself in a way that's, that's proud of a job well done or proud of your accomplishments. It's okay to do that. It's above measure where it becomes problematic. The sin comes in when we allow ourselves to exalt ourselves or our accomplishments above that which is measurable. That which is reality. That which is practical. You see, a lot of times people don't know the difference. They blur the lines, and before long, all the things in the world are about them. That's what a haughty spirit will do. The third point is, is, is to bring them two together like we did with the other one. Exalting oneself above measure takes your eyes off of God's path. When we put these points together about haughtiness, we find that those who have a haughty spirit, they, they don't practice the art of positioning themselves in a way where they won't tumble or, or, or stumble or trip. They keep Those who keep their eyes on the Lord, though, and keep their eyes on his paths, they don't trip. They don't stumble because the Lord has ordained their steps. Look back down at your Bibles to verse 9 of Proverbs chapter 16. Love this verse, by the way. It's one of my life verses. It's one that I practice regularly. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Beautiful passage of scripture. You want to talk about practical life passages? That's one of them. Yes, you can go practice your whatever. You can follow your whatever. You can pursue your whatever. You can do all of those things. But if you are a Christian and a believer, God will ordain your steps. Mike, there have been a lot of things that I've done in my life that I thought I wanted to do that God said no. One of them was being a police officer. Y'all know that about me? Well, there you go. It's a fun fact. I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a police officer. I, I, well, this was early on in, in my, my college experience of confusion. I, was, I went into college as a music major, and I was like, yeah, I'm good at this. I can do that. I can whatever. I can get scholarships and all that kind of stuff. And, and then two years into it, I was like, this isn't what I want to do. I hated theory. As you all music people know, theory is... It's the mathematics of music, not for me. Um, so then I changed my major to criminal justice because I thought, well, you know, I've always wanted to be a cop as this little kid, this idea of fighting bad crime and bad people and, and all of that kind of stuff. And I know we can't say bad people anymore. It's not culturally appropriate, but I don't care. But I wanted to be a good guy. And so I went to be a criminal justice major, and I went to tour Riverbend Prison, and, you know, and I eventually took a, 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 a test to, to be a trooper. I scored seventh out of like 4,000 and something people, and I'm terrible at tests. 
And so I got an interview, and I went down to Memphis, and I, I got an interview, and they sat down with me, and I, they, they looked at me, and they were like, oh, because all these other guys that were in there were talking, and like, what's the, what's the military code, Bravo, Echo, all that stuff? Yeah, I wasn't doing that. They asked me what my driver's license number, my, my license plate number was, and I was like, A-H-X. And those of you that are in the military can appreciate that. All these other guys are like Alpha and Bravo and all these other things. They told me I needed experience. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll go get some experience. I went home to Rutherford where I grew up. My best friend's dad was the mayor of the town. And I asked him, I said, hey, I need, I need some experience just riding around, volunteer, riding around with a cop. Can I, can I do that? And he said, no. And I was like, are you kidding me? Every path that I, that I thought was lead me to this dream of becoming a cop was a dead end. And it was at that point that I looked up and said, Lord, what is it you want me to do? And he said, ministry. And at that point, 24 years old, I knew exactly what the rest of my life would consist of. Well, I thought I did. I knew what I was going to be doing anyway. Amen. And even from there, it has been littered with, I worked in a, in a factory, built shower doors at Kohler for, for nine years. And then I went to teach. And I said, only the Lord can pull me away from this. And he did. And he took me to Tyson to be a chaplain. And then I just finished my last day at Tyson Wednesday. And now I'm going to be in the office tomorrow. Now, all of that to say, oh, yeah, I mean, this, it's, it's 2020 looking back. But folks, when, it was, when, when hindsight was what I called foresight at the time, it was very frustrating and concerning. I didn't know what I was doing with my life. But I can look back and I can say Proverbs 16.9 is true. Without any doubt in my mind, I would take that to my grave. If somebody had a gun to my head and said, renounce that verse, I couldn't do it. Because my life is a testimony of how God has ordained every one of my steps to where we are today. And I know he'll do, this to, I know he'll do the same tomorrow. When I walk into my office that looks like a tornado went through it right now, I know I'll be fine. And next year and the five years from now and ten years from now, who knows what the Lord has ordained, but I know that each step that I take will be ordained by him. And I'm okay with that. This is what it means to have your eyes on God's path. Humility is what keeps you grounded. Humility is what, is what allows you to, 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 to partner with and be obedient to the, goal, the call of God in your life. Because as we go through life, we'll be tempted to, to, to go to the left or go to the right or whatever. Humility, though, keeps our feet planted on the path. And that brings me to my third point. Humility is what the Lord desires. God elevates the humble. This is the point to the whole humility process. And I know, ooh, I just spent a whole lot of time on, on the first two points. But let, let's get to these last, last points because this is the meat and potatoes of it all. Humility is, is what the Lord desires. Why? Well, because he elevates the humble to a state of righteousness. Right? If, if pride elevates the self above God, humility, if you will, is what God uses to elevate the humble to a state of righteousness. Right? 
if I can use these words in reverse, and what we find is that humility accomplishes the very things that pride and a, and a haughty spirit desire, which are elevation and exaltation. What we try to accomplish on our own through our pride and our arrogance and our haughtiness, humility does it naturally. In fact, God is the one who elevates and exalts. Because those who humble themselves before the Lord will be elevated to a state of righteousness. It's possible. God can do it because he is the only one who can elevate someone with his power, his presence, and his holiness. And once elevated, that humble individual can practice the fruits of humility. Fruits like selflessness. Putting, putting others before yourself. Contentedness, patience, kindness, and if we can use a real New Testament word, exhortation. Okay, why is that, why is that such a consequential word when speaking of humility? Well, exhortation is the spiritual practice of elevating others higher than yourself. So if pride tries to elevate ourselves above God... Exhortation allows you to elevate that person beside you above yourself. You know, how, you know how practical that is for conflict resolution? Oh, my goodness. If we, could just, if we could just have one principle enter the room during conflict resolution, humility would rule the day. Because it allows you to look at that person and put their needs before your own. Their thoughts before yours. Their desires before your own. And it's only from a humble heart that you can do that. Because a humble heart is one that's in tune with the Lord. People who are humble are usually not easily offended. They're not. Why? Because they've practiced the art of of putting others before yourself. Even, Even in the worst scenarios. And what an individual intends for harm. A humble person could look at and say, Lord, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. People who are humble are usually willing to strive with others in imperfections. And they're slow to make judgments. It is capable. Or rather, these things are possible because... Humility allows us to put our own self-interests aside and put that of God and others first. That's the thing, because you don't see anything in Scripture that says, you know, love yourself. You don't see that. You don't, because this is what the, this is what the modern world teaches. It says, you, you matter, and you should love yourself, and you should. Don't get me wrong. Don't, don't hear me wrong. But the New Testament principle is love God Love others as yourself. You see that? That's the principle. That when you love God and when you love others as you would yourself, then you fulfill the commandments of God. Then you have practiced the art of humility. Humility has a way of creating a baseline in which people who are Humble are usually quick to repent. They practice faithfulness and they produce fruits of righteousness. Secondly, God exalts the humble to the greatest 
in his kingdom. All right? Humility elevates, if you will, the, the, the individual to righteousness. Humility also exalts the humble to the greatest in the kingdom of God. I've said this before, but I'll say it again. God does not measure greatness by how far up one goes in success, but by, far, but by how far down one goes in humility. That's how God measures greatness. See, we have it backwards in our world. We think that we have to be uber successful, right? We think we have to have all of the money and all of the prominence and all of the power and all of the influence when in fact God only measures greatness by how far down you go in humility. Because when you go down there in humility, he exalts you to the greatest in the kingdom of God. In fact, Jesus told the disciples this. Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. See, this is how God measures greatness. Humility is the investment in heavenly achievement. Because it doesn't bring glory to the individual, it brings glory to God. We can conclude then that making a name for ourselves or being remembered or having the most influence in the world is not what matters. Because people who do this fail to recognize that to the, really to the known world, they're unknown. Amen? If people, people they, they, they care so much about who knows them and how many people know them and how much influence they have over the community. And in, in the end, most of the people in their community don't even know who they are. So our, our ideas of divine knowledge and understanding fall short. Many of us, outside of our own little sphere of family or friends, will be largely forgotten about when we're gone. That's just the truth of it. I hate to be morbid. I hate to be in, you know, kind of a negative Nancy here, but that's just the truth. If the world doesn't know you, they're definitely not going to know you die. And, and, and unless your children are still alive or your spouse or something like that, those that are close to you, that's it. They're the only ones that will remember your life. All of your possessions that you leave behind will be fought over by those you leave behind. And sometimes it's just good to know that Proverbs, things like Proverbs 22.1, that, that a good name is worth more than great riches. Greatness in the kingdom of God is measured by humility, not pride. This is how God works. The wise would put it to work. And then lastly, humility allows oneself to keep their eyes on the path. Following the same progress through the, or the symmetry, through the outline, Humility allows you to keep your eyes on the path. Pride picks them up. Haughty spirit makes your eyes go up. And you trip and you stumble. Whereas humility allows you to have the best possible opportunity to see the path that God has for you and to keep your feet firmly planted on it. If you stray, humility brings you back. It keeps you, if you will, from distractions and temptation. It's the key that unlocks the faithfulness of God in your life. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Then humble yourself. 
bring yourself or de-elevate yourself to the right place. God, others, yourself. Don't exalt yourself above measure because in the end you're just a person, just like everyone else. And keep your eyes on the path. When you do those things, you avoid Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19. Amen, church? Let's pray this morning. Father, we're grateful this morning for this word. And Father, as, as, as it has been read and, and, and Lord, as the, the exposition of it has been provided, God, I just pray that, that, that you are glorified by this word. Father, that our hearts are blessed by the reading of it. And now our hands and feet can be active about the doing of it. Uh, Father, it's, it's such a beautiful truth for us this morning. And Lord, you have given us the spirit of meekness and humility. Foster that. Father, continue to, to build that here at this church. Father, as we have seen the spirit of unity and oneness, bring us together. Father, encourage us to keep that with our humility. Father, may we always exalt you to the highest possible place. May we exalt ourselves only to the point that is in reality. And Father, may we glorify you by our balance of it, our, our, our application of it in our lives. Father, we thank you for this word. Lord, as it has now been read and as we bring the sermon to a close, Father, we pray that, that you are glorified by what we've said. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here.